0: do we get what we deserve that's an important question while we consider this idea of faith why faith why is faith so important well the scriptures tell us in hebrews 11 that it is impossible to please god without faith now if you're here if you're exploring faith in god trying to figure out what it's all about then it it might be easy to misunderstand uh, what what god is expecting see God is not looking to see if you can clean up your act and be good enough. See, his desire for you is not to become more religious or to try harder. Actually, God's desire is that you have faith in him. See, without faith, we cannot please God, no matter how hard we try. But that is actually a beautiful thing because that means the only thing that we need is faith. The scriptures continue in Hebrews 11, anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. See, for those of us who do believe, are you sincerely seeking him? Have you, have you come to the place where you think you've arrived? Because really growing in faith is a lifelong journey. There's so much more that God has for us. And that's why we design Sundays to help you no matter where you might be on that journey to either step into faith or continue to grow in your faith, to learn to trust God more and more along the way. See, it's, it's really remarkable the way that God interacts with us. See, God stays somewhat hidden for a reason. God's aim is to create a family, not a forced family group of slaves or robot but a family of eternally free loving children and so God reveals himself just enough so that those who seek him and want to know him can find him in these last few weeks we've been trying to answer some tough questions why Jesus and why suffering and why science and and there's been a lot of evidence if you were here last week you may have been overwhelmed with the evidence But I want you to know that no matter how much evidence you might have for faith, you still have to actually take that step. See, this is not an intellectual exercise. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the will. See, we're all invited to freely give our life to the one who created us, the one who gave us life. But all the evidence in the world will not convince a person if they don't want God in their life. I have shared this quote many times before, but Andrew Clavin is a novelist. Some of his books have turned into films like True Crime. And at the age of 50, he decided to follow Jesus. His newest book is called The Great Good Thing A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. And he says this If you believe, the evidence is all around you. If you don't believe, no evidence can be enough. I wonder do you have an open heart? Do you have an open mind to the possibilities of of there being a God, a God who loves you, a God who wants to guide you? We're going to do a little experiment. And and so I want to just put on the board a, a jumble of words, and I want to ask you what you see. So just take a look, take a peek, and now out loud, tell me, what do you see? All right, I heard a couple of answers, right? Some of you immediately saw God is nowhere, Some of you saw God is now here. Now, if you do believe in God and you saw God is nowhere, don't be alarmed. This is just a little experiment. But it is remarkable how our minds can can see something and come to closure and miss what actually is there. And some of us, if we're honest, have a propensity. We have a, a, a desire to see God and find him, and others of us are resistant to that. And we have to acknowledge that what we're looking for often determines what we find. Now, there may be some skeptics among us, and that's okay. This is a place where you are safe. You can belong whether or not you ever believe. But I want to push into this idea. See, some skeptics might say, well, people of faith see what they want to see. But I want you to know that faith is actually a human condition. All of us walk by faith to some degree. And you may be saying, well, I don't have faith. right? I, I only believe what I can see or touch or what's been proven to me. So I want to just for a moment, I want you to pretend that this stage is all the knowledge available in the cosmos. And, and so on this stage, representing the universe, is everything about humanity, what happens inside the human body, the, the systems and the cells. But then there's also understanding, the knowledge of every living thing. Do you know there's about 2 million species of animals and insects, and some scientists think there may be 5 million more. We're still discovering all the time, but but on this stage, every Every fact, every piece of knowledge about every living thing, everything about humanity, including the psychology, the the mind and how it works, and the the spirit, everything that needs to be known about love. And there's a lot to be known about love. But all of that is just represented in this stage. But but that's not all of it. There's every plant, all the knowledge of every living creature, every plant. But what about the non-living things? Say, Say the knowledge of the rivers and the oceans and the rocks and the mountains is also contained in this stage. And then everything to know about space and everything to know about time, say this, this represents all known knowledge. If I were to invite you to come up on stage and draw a circle around the amount of that knowledge that you hold, how big would that circle be? For some of you, you may be thinking softball size. Your neighbor may be thinking closer to like a P, right? But let's just say for a moment, if that's the case, say it's even as big as this circle right here, this, this massive stage, if you have only the knowledge that, that you have, isn't it possible just beyond your knowledge are things that you don't understand that may be where God may be? So for the atheist to say, there is no God, and I know there is no God, isn't it possible that just beyond what you are certain of is actually where God is? But I don't want to just pick on those who are uncertain of God. What if you're here and you believe in God, but but you're not so sure about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life? Isn't it possible that that in your limited knowledge, that there may be more evidence to point towards that truth than you've realized? Or maybe you're here and you're a person of faith and you follow after Jesus and you've come to this place where you feel like you've arrived. Isn't it possible that just beyond your limited knowledge, God has more for you? See, God wants to do more than what we could ever ask or imagine. See, we come to closure far too soon on who God is and what he wants to do in our lives and through our lives. See, really, at its core, faith equals trust. I don't know if you remember this film. It's one of the best films ever made. It's called Nacho Libre. And Nacho is a luchador. And he has a best friend who is resistant to all things faith. In fact, he says what, do you remember? Exactly. Well done, that sounded just like him. (laughs) I believe in science. Now his best friend, I can almost guarantee you, he might have believed in the billions of galaxies, but he didn't actually look at every one of those galaxies. He may have believed in the ancientness of the cosmos, but he's actually gone out and carbon dated all the rocks. You see, even those of us who believe in science, which by the way, last week we looked, and you don't have to disregard science and have faith. In fact, the story last week, if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to Dr. Hugh Ross. It was his search for truth in science that led him to faith in God and Jesus. But see, if you believe in science, then you're still trusting someone else's work, someone else's process. Dr. Kevin Dunbar studied how top scientific conclusions are reached and found and discovered that in most labs, 50% of the time, the evidence doesn't confirm the hypothesis. It requires a step of faith to go where the evidence points. See, faith undergirds all of us as humans, whether we trust God or not. I mean, I can give you a more practical example. It takes great faith every time you get in a car especially if it's your 17-year-old son driving. It takes a great deal of faith. Or or to get into an airplane. How many of you hate to fly? Okay, don't listen for the next few minutes. Uh Say you get on an airplane. I mean, think, you're literally entrusting your life to sit in a tube that floats in the sky. And did you, those of you who have no trouble flying, did you check to make sure that the pilot isn't drunk? They don't let you check the cockpit anymore. Did you check to see if he has a license that's current? Did you go and check and make sure the mechanic has all the credentials he needs to actually fix the plane? Did you just check to see if it had enough fuel? More than likely, you did not. We do not. We just get on and we trust and trust our lives to these airlines. And think about how crazy that is when many times these airlines don't even get our baggages to where we're going. In fact, I don't know if you knew this, but as the Hubble telescope flew past Saturn, they discovered its rings are made up of all the lost luggage (laughs) right there. I don't know if you saw that. See, but here's the thing about flying on a plane. See, it's not just blind faith, blind trust. We get on knowing that There's a track record. They they tend to know what they're doing. And I want you to know that God's not inviting you to some sort of blind faith, but a reasonable faith. That's what God desires. See, he is revealing himself through creation, through the people that have said yes to following after him, to, to the good that they do. There are lots of reasons to trust the prophecies that have been fulfilled. If you want to discover enough proof You can find it, but you still have to step out in faith. You still have to trust. See, faith really means trust, which really means love. See, God loves you and knows you and wants you to know him. That's why faith is so important to God. His motive is love. He wants us to know his love and and to love him back by faith. But that's how every relationship works. Listen to this passage from James 2. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. See, trusting God leads to friendship with God, leads to a relationship with God. See, it was faith, it was trust that, that brought Abraham into relationship with God. Abraham, who was blessed to be a blessing to all nations. See, relationship is what God wants most, but that also requires faith. I think back to my seventh grade year. I was sitting in class and I had three classes where right behind me was a kid named Craig Canton. All of our teachers in suburban Fort Worth put us in order alphabetically. So Bryant came before Canton. So I sat next to this guy for several weeks and didn't really talk to him. I mean, if I could be honest, I kind of came to closure that this wasn't really a cool kid, as if I was really cool. But I, I one day was sitting in front of him, and the announcements came on. It was some kid sharing the announcements, and I didn't understand what was said, so I turned behind me, and we started a, a conversation. We both kind of laughed, and, and we actually started to become friends. We started to hang out together. And, and if you remember middle school, it's not that different than being an adult, really, See, you start to get to know someone, you start to kind of open your heart up a little bit, you start to kind of share your life a little bit, and then you wait to see what they do with that. Do they use it against you? Do they turn on you? Do they betray you? And if if they don't, more than likely, they start to reveal a little bit about themselves to you, and and then you have the opportunity to betray them or to, to be a trustworthy person. And see, the more we get to know each other, the more we trust each other, the more the friendship grows. Craig Canton became my best friend through middle school, high school, and we lived together all four years in college. See, to have a a friendship with someone you can trust, it doesn't just happen. It actually is something you have to work on. It's something you have to, to entrust your heart to another person, knowing that they could hurt it along the way. See, all relationships take faith on both sides. There's a certain amount of faith required to know another person so when it comes to a relationship with god we have a a a challenge because we have a distorted image of god some people in the name of god have done a lot of bad things some people who said they know god didn't really have a relationship with god some people have told us things about god but see what i want to encourage you to do is actually go to the source to discover who god says he is Don't allow your distorted image of God. Even those of us of faith, remember we have a limited understanding. God wants to do more than what we could ever ask or imagine. Don't be limited to who you've thought God to be so far in your life. See, God is revealing himself to us and we can discover him as we search after him, as we seek him. I wonder, do you have really close friendships with people you can't trust? The answer probably is no. (laughs) They're not my friend anymore, or at least I don't trust them anymore. We're not as close as we used to be. See, how willing are we to bear our soul and let someone into our life when we suspect they're going to turn against us, when they're going to be malicious with what we share with them? See, trust is the fundamental basis for a healthy relationship. And some of you may be here and saying, well, you know what, I've been searching after God or I've been trying to follow God, but I don't feel close to God. It's not working for me. But see, our relationship with God is just like our relationship with people. Our default is actually to drift. That happens in marriages, that happens with extended families, that happens with even our friendships. Unless you're intentional, you will drift away. And so our relationship with God is It takes time. It takes intentionality. And faith is a spiritual muscle. From what I've been told, when you work out, you actually push to the limits of what your muscles can do, and that's actually what builds your muscles. Well, the same is true in your faith. The more you're willing to step out and trust God, the more resistance you step into and trust God in spite of, the more our faith begins to grow. See, it takes time. But God is revealing himself to us, showing himself to us. But we'll see more and more of him as we trust him. I, I, I've heard people say, you know, I just don't feel connected to community. And they say that even before they put in the effort to get to know other people. See, this is true in every relationship. It takes effort, it takes intentionality to develop the trust needed for a healthy, vibrant relationship. See, God is revealing himself, and what's beautiful, through the scriptures, there's a consistent thread running through where God is revealing his character and his desires and his will for us. And you may be thinking, well, if only God would just speak audibly. You know, you're driving in your car and you hear, turn left at the light, you know. That would be sorta cool in some ways, Sort of horrifying in others. In fact, when you read the scriptures and there are these moments when just a messenger of God shows up and the people fall to the ground as if dead. Or what if God would just show up in the sky like a pillar of fire? Well, he did that at one point and it was horrifying. We don't want a pillar of fire. It's hard to develop a a meaningful, intimate relationship with a pillar of fire. See, instead, God does something so much more remarkable. God came to walk among us, and his name was Jesus. And then his spirit is available to all who entrust their lives to him. So here's what's remarkable. The more you get to know God, the more his thoughts actually come into your mind. Now, that might sound crazy at first, but if you walked with God for a while, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Do so we have thoughts all the time. Some of them are our thoughts. We know them because they're very selfish. But then we have other thoughts that are quite dark, and we hope they're not us. That's from the realm of darkness. But there are these other thoughts, these thoughts that come crashing into our minds, and they usually require courage. They're thoughts that are often selfless and certainly consistent with the character of God, as we find in the Scriptures. See, my wife and I, we've been married for 20-something years. We've been married so long, I don't even remember what, how long. That's <laughs> how long we've been married. And there are times I can read her mind, and she can read my mind. Her thoughts have become my thoughts. The same can be true in our relationship with God, that you can literally have God's thoughts in your head to guide you. Think about that. The one who created all of this, this knowledge of the cosmos Wants to guide you. Wants to lead you. If you would just trust him. John 1 says this, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. You want to get to know God? Start by reading the book of John. Look at the person of Jesus. Notice how he interacts with others, how he loves others, how he serves others. See, here's the catch. In the midst of the freedom that God gives us, we have broken the moral code that every culture has within. We break our own moral code. The things we want to do, we don't do. And yet, we think that because we've broken our own moral code or the internal moral code That God is angry with us, and that we have to then prove ourselves and do enough to to get Him to not be angry. But actually, God's love for you is what's real. See, we can never do enough good to get back into good graces with God, but we don't have to. We're already loved by God. That's grace, it's love that is undeserved. God's love for you is real, He loves you in spite of your brokenness. All that is required of us to enter into this relationship, to even continue to grow in this relationship with God is to say, I need help. Ask for forgiveness, to ask for guidance, to take every thought, every decision in front of us to the foot of the one who loves us, who gives us life, who created us. Listen to what Romans 3 says. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. God did this to demonstrate His righteousness, for He Himself is fair and just. And He makes sinners right in His sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law, it is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith. See, God loves every person so much that he made a way to forgive and to take back anyone who wants forgiveness. What you may be thinking, well, why doesn't God just forgive us? Why do we have to go through this humbling process of asking for help? Well, just for a moment, let's use our imagination Pretend you have a Ferrari. Okay, really stretch that imagination. And stretch it even more. Pretend you give me the keys to that Ferrari. You let me borrow it. And so I start driving around, and I get up on 360, and I'm flying down 360, which feels like a freeway until there's a stoplight. And I go right past that stoplight, and boom. I hit a car, car hits me, and it's totaled. And I approach you and I hand you the keys to the car and say, I am so sorry, will you forgive me? Now, if you decide to forgive me, then you have to pay to get it fixed or to replace it. If you decide not to forgive me, then I've got to pay to get it fixed or to replace it. So stretch that imagination a little bit more and pretend that you take the keys back and say, I forgive you. Basically, you're saying, I will pay for this. I will pay for the mistakes you've made. Something so much more precious than a Ferrari has been broken. And if we hand those keys over to God and say, I'm sorry, will you pay for this? Will you fix this? The amazing thing is he says, yes, I have paid to heal you and that payment was his willingness to walk among us and to die on the cross. But The beauty of God's love is is it could not be contained in a tomb on that third day, Jesus rose from the dead and now his spirit is available to all who surrender their lives to him. See, God's desire is to transform us, to give us life even though we are dead. His goal is not to change us on the outside, to bring change that starts on the inside and changes everything about us. See, some of us have a hard time believing in God, trusting God, because of people in the name of Jesus who've done a lot of bad things or have said they were Christians and they were really mean, hypocritical, judgmental. See, is it possible that some people are using their faith as an excuse to just do whatever they want to do, live however they want to live? Well, Paul addresses that in Romans 3. He says, well, then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. See, the scriptures tell us, do not murder. And they go on to say, in fact, you don't even have to have anger in your heart. The scriptures tell us, do not commit adultery. But, but it's even better than that. You don't even have to have lust in your heart. See, Jesus wants to transform us from the inside to forgive us. And so our behavior actually begins to change because of his love for us, not so that we can get his love for us. His goal is not to change us from bad to good, but from death to life. And when we are alive, we change out of gratitude for all that he's done for us. Well, today is Baptism Sunday. And baptism is a beautiful symbol, a symbol that you have died to your old life and you're being raised to walk a new life just as Jesus died and rose again. It's also symbolic of being washed of all the evil mistakes and sin in your life and raised to walk a new life. It's a beautiful ceremony. It's like a wedding ceremony. Or an adoption ceremony. A chance for us to say yes and to celebrate publicly what God has already done in your heart. And I want to share a story. Maybe you've heard the story of the prodigal son. Well, Philip Yancey, which is found in Luke 15. Philip Yancey is an author. He kind of revised this, a more modern version. And so for just a moment, I want to see if you could identify with the young woman in the story. See, the story of this young girl she grew up in a a loving home a family that took her to church she felt like they were too strict in her teen years she felt like they were just holding her back slowing her down from from having fun from the things that all her friends got to do and so eventually when she got this boyfriend just a couple years too old for her, her parents said she decided to run away with him and they went to new york city and at first, it was amazing. It was better than what she could have imagined. So much fun. But eventually, there wasn't enough money to, to pay the bills. And so she began to make decisions she would have never thought she would make, just to survive. And suddenly, all the partying seemed to be something that kept her in a horrible place. It was no longer fun. It was, it was turning into an addiction, something she couldn't live without. The boyfriend left her, her friends seemed to abandon her, and she found herself all alone, penniless in New York City. That's when she thought, I wonder if, I wonder if mom and dad would take me back. She said some pretty mean things before she left. She would screamed how much she hated them. But she thought she'd try. She sent a message telling them she was coming home, riding on the bus. She was hoping they would take her back. As the bus pulled into downtown Austin, she looks out and she saw her dad and her mom and her grandparents and her cousins and her brother and her friends. All these people she'd left and betrayed. All these people she felt were holding her back and they were holding signs saying, Welcome home. She gets off the bus. and Her dad comes running to her. She just says the only words that could come to her in that moment, I'm so sorry. And her dad hugs her and just says, you understand, we're so glad you're home. See, God's love is that real for you. All of us have wandered our own way. And he says, just come back. You're always welcome. You're always welcome home. Listen to this passage tells us in Luke 15. His father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. See, God says when one person turns back home and marks that moment with baptism, all of heaven celebrates. In fact, we're here to celebrate with you. He loves you and wants you to come home. There's another passage that says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight with the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. In this moment, I want to encourage you to take that step of faith. You may have all the evidence you will ever need, but you still have to say yes. And I want to encourage you and even challenge you. Maybe you're still like, there's something holding you back. I want you just to pray this prayer. God, help me with my unbelief. God, give me faith that I don't have. You will be amazed at how he answers that prayer. Or maybe for you, watching other people get baptized is a reminder of where you once were. You felt so close to God. Maybe in this moment, you can reconnect your heart to him just to let go of some things that you've taken back. You used to trust him, and now you're you're holding on to some things. Maybe God's been revealing to you something new that he wants you to entrust to him. Whatever that next step is, all of us have a next step of faith. And so here's what I want you to do. It's a little bit different perhaps, but I want to invite you to stand with us. Just go ahead and stand up. And in this moment, the band is going to play a song. And this song could be a song of response. You could sing out with them a declaration of what is true in your heart. Or it could be a chance for you to reflect, maybe just to have a moment where you pray silently in your heart to God. Or maybe during the song, you know that today your next step is to actually get baptized, to show the world what's already happened in your heart, that you've surrendered your life to Jesus. And some of you are here, and maybe as an infant, this was done for you. It's a beautiful sign that your parents wanted you to have faith. But now is your chance to say, you know what? What they wanted for me is now true, and you choose to get baptized. This beautiful symbol of a new life. Some of you are already prepared for that. Others of you aren't, and I want to encourage you. All you got to do is take your phone out of your pocket, and we've got a towel for you, all right? So during this song, if you want to be baptized or want to talk to somebody more about that, I want to encourage you just to go out this door, over to the tank, right over there, and then right after the song, I'll come up and pray for us, and then we'll celebrate baptisms together. But whatever you are in your journey, ask God in this moment to show you your next step.